0: With all the cybersecurity talk, what actually happens when you're breached? Let's talk to an MSP who was during the Kaseya incident. Robert Chiafi joins me on this extended bonus episode
1: of The Business of Tech. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
0: Well, Robert, thanks for joining me to talk about uh, your experiences through the Kaseya breach.
1: My pleasure, Dave.
0: So let's set the stage. I'm going to do a quick summary for listeners who. Should be well familiar with the story, but let's let's set the the the, uh, the story here. Because sure. on July second, twenty twenty one. Uh, IT software provider Kaseya was a victim of a ransomware attack. The attack was described as a supply chain ransomware attack leveraging a vulnerability in Kaseya's VSA software, and it targeted multiple MSPs and their customers. The hackers exploited a particular software vulnerability within Kaseya VSA, which is now known as CVE-2021-30116 which allowed them to conduct a widespread attack across several MSP customers. The way they did it was they infected all of the victims via an automatic software update that delivered the our evil ransomware package. The package then encrypted the, the syst- all the systems that it touched across the networks, impacting roughly 50 MSPs and between 800 and 1,500 of their customers before Kaseya shut down their cloud and issued a shutdown directive for all on-premise systems. Now, we all know this stuff from the background. Kaseya's internal team was working with security experts to determine what happened, and they did alert law enforcement and government security agencies and did work with both the FBI and with CISA during the process. The hackers demanded a ransom of of 7 $70 million to offer blanket decryption for all victims and 5 million to each of you like owners like you. Yep. Uh, to give a timeline, uh, later, you know, they, in, in late C- uh, July, Kaseya released a universal key that decrypted all the systems, although our evil themselves disappeared from the internet on July 13th. Mm-hmm. And at this point, two foreign nationals have been, were arrested on October 8th, and one faces charges in Texas. Correct. But Robert, you are the CTO and co-founder of Progressive, and you're one of the companies that was hit by the breach. Yeah, I really appreciate you joining me to talk about that, but, but that's just the timeline. And broadly. I want you to make this tangible for individ- as an individual provider. Give me a sense of your operational timeline, kind of how it fits in the story now that we've heard the larger piece.
1: Right. So uh, great job on breaking down you know, exactly what happened there. Um, so we were one of the, um, and I know the number uh, varies or fluctuates between 50 and 60. It's an estimate of how many Uh, Kaseya VSA customers like my uh, company, my MSP, was uh, affected by that. Uh, So it was July 2nd, as you said, and what we would learn later on forensically, uh, we did not know at the time that at 10.49 a.m., uh, Yaroslav Vasinsky and his uh, two cohorts, uh, there were, I think, three individuals involved as an affiliate um, uh, spearheading this attack, uh, they exploited the um, vulnerability within Kaseya to bypass all authorization. Uh, no administrator password or 2FA required. They walked right past that, uploaded the Revolsodon uh package uh, into our server, um, uploaded a script, pushed it out to 2,500 endpoints. Um, that was across 80 of our customers in 200 physical locations because we all have customers that have multiple sites. Uh, And those sites uh, were spread out across uh, the four time zones in the contiguous 48 United States. So uh, it was around 12 o'clock-ish, and I did something incredibly unusual as either a business owner or as an MSP. I don't know which, uh, but I decided to have... You got it. Lunch. Right. I know it's weird. Noon. (laughs) Go have lunch. I never do that. Sometimes I'm eating something at three thirty and people are like, oh, you're having a late lunch. I'm like, no, this is breakfast. Um, So it was, you know, it was because it was a relatively light day. July 2nd, uh, 2021. Uh, Weather here in New York was absolutely fantastic. And the forecast was amazing for the next couple of days. Ten best days of the year. You know, if you're from the Midwest or the the Northeast, you know that, you know, winters like kind of suck winter blues. You really look forward to these kinds of days. Um, And so what that meant with uh, Independence Day upon us and it being a Friday and the weather being so awesome that it was going to be a light work day because most of our end users that we support were probably heading to the beach a couple of days early or a couple hours early or whatever, or beginning their their uh, holiday festivities. So. Uh, and that's where we're all our minds were. So I was in the kitchen, uh, like I said, around 12, uh, ate lunch. It was 12, 20-ish uh, when looking out the door of my kitchen down a long hallway that traverses the office. I could see my director of operations, Jay, traverse the top of the uh, stairs, uh, turn the corner to start walking down the hall. And now he's, you know, just because of the, the physical situation, he's now walking towards me about 40 feet away. But I could instantly recognize that something was really terribly wrong. Uh, his gait, his walk was just funny. There was just I could see an expression on his face that made me think that somebody had died. And that's literally what I explained to an engineer who happened to be in the kitchen with me uh, who could not see Jay because his back was towards the door. I said, holy shit. Um, Sorry for the French. I don't think that's French, by the way. Um, (laughs) Holy shit. I think somebody just died. Um, And so I got up out of my seat uh, to approach Jay uh, thinking really kind of two simultaneous thoughts. I'm either here now going to comfort him uh, in this terrible time that he is experiencing Or I'm going to be the recipient of some really bad news that I just don't want to hear, right? Your mind races through all of the permutations of almost like you opening the door and there's two police officers standing there. They don't even need to say anything. You know that, like, the worst news possible is about to get dropped on you. So those are the sort of two thoughts were running through my head. And neither of them felt very good. Um, So I met Jay. Jay. And I said, Jay, like, you know, obviously something's wrong. Like, what's going on? What's wrong? And, you know, Jay and I have a long professional relationship. We're friends, you know, where we work tightly together. Uh, There's nothing that we can't say to each other. And he couldn't look me in the eye. Uh, I had to uh, put my hands on his shoulders and, you know, try to draw him back in to the conversation and orient him. I'm like, come on, Jay. Like, it's me. Like I leaned down into, like, I got close to him. I said, you know, what is wrong? Like what's going, and here I am still thinking, like, he's about to tell me that like my hat, my, somebody from my house just called, you know, with some really awful news about my kids or my wife or whatever. Um, And he looked at me and he didn't quite deliver that terrible of news, but it certainly hurt. Uh, and was a really, you know, the start of a very uh, tough um, couple of months after that. He said, Robert, all of our uh, customers are ransomware. Now, if you're an MSP and you hear those words, it's a little too surreal to process, right? Number one, everybody says, well, that's the worst nightmare. Yes. And I'll, we'll talk more about what, uh, what transpired. But It's just it's almost too impossible for your brain to kind of wrap around. It's almost like saying, hey, go count the amount of grains of sand there are on a beach. Like, where do you even start? Right. Like, how do you even tackle a problem like that? And so my brain really quite couldn't um, understand what he was saying, even though I could hear the words. So I insisted, Jay, what do you mean all of them? Which ones like it can't be all of them. That's just an absurd possibility, uh, impossibility. And he looked at me again and said, no, Robert, all of them. And he started to rattle off names one by one. And subconsciously, I think he elected to start naming names of our largest accounts. Right. He named at least 10 of our top 15 accounts as he just started naming one after the next after the next. And it was like these, you know, giant dominoes landing on me, like pancaking me, crushing me deeper into the ground uh, every name that i heard i just felt i could almost picture in the, in my mind the amount of revenue that they generated the the sometimes decades long relationships that i've had with these people um the people themselves that either run or own the organizations or that work there uh i felt my own even reputation you know meaning our reputation as a company and my individual reputation Uh, You know, just start getting crushed by all of these dominoes. And then something else weird happened, Dave. I started to realize uh, my senses started to pick up uh, things that were going on in the office. I can now hear and see other conversations of people on phones saying things like, and I'm going to paraphrase here a little bit. uh, Hold on a second. I, I, I don't know what's happening um, let me get an engineer for you. Um, uh, please come down. I know you're upset. Uh, we'll get those systems back up and running as soon as we can. Uh, I heard somebody else say something like, I think there's a system wide issue going on. Uh, we're looking into it. People are standing. People are certainly not smiling or laughing. Um, there's a certain amount of tension that has really built in the office. And so if you picture outside in the world um, in Yonkers, New York that day, of these gorgeous blue skies, beautiful, picturesque, perfect, 10 best days of the year weather, but inside our office, and I know it sounds cliche, and it sounds like I've watched too many movies, but the sky darkened inside our office, and that's where the walls just started closing in on us. Um, I started to feel claustrophobic. I felt like I couldn't breathe. Um, So one of the things I did was I just grabbed Jay and we went to my office just so that I could sit down. And if you're seeing me now, this is exactly where I was sitting two plus years ago, uh, staring at the screen right in front of me, logging into Kaseya VSA, trying to figure out what the hell's going on, dialing with the cell phone. Jay's on his cell phone. I got my desk phone here. Pulling in multiple texts, like what just trying to understand and uncover what is going on. But you know what, Dave? In my heart and in my head, I knew exactly that this was an RMM attack. How could we possibly have all these disparate clients that don't know each other and aren't connected to each other in any other way other than our RMM platform? How could they all possibly be simultaneously? ransomware. So while I was losing my mind that day and probably didn't make such great decisions in those first couple of hours, uh it was clear to me that that's what the um you know where the attack centered. Um and as we were kind of going through things trying to figure out what the hell was going on, I started to watch all of the icons on my own desktop start to turn white. And you know, anyone who's listening that's non-technical uh, you should know that that's the telltale sign of your computer not being able to recognize either shortcuts or icons or files that are sitting on your desktop. And it doesn't know to display an Excel document with the you know, familiar green X, so it puts a white box there instead. And it means that the files are encrypted. So it's suddenly now all of this surreal... Um, uh, peripheral information about our customers was now literally right at my fingertips.
0: So from, from that moment, like, how, walk me through, like, how long did it take to start from, from the, the crisis starting to starting to get a sense of of what was going on and pulling your people together with a plan? Yeah. Like, like, you know, because you've talked about this before, and it, certainly you didn't have all of the documented procedures and policies. So, so how long does it take to pull together when you when you
1: kind of are winging it a little? Well, bit? I mean, so you bring up a great Uh, And I would urge everybody listening, um, and I will continue to evangelize this notion of having your incident response plan and your policies and procedures not only buttoned up, but practiced, right, tabletops and whatnot. We had none of that or little of that, really, any real semblance of it. I mean, as an MSP, we all do things that sort of semi-prepare us for these things, but not really, not to the extent that we needed to. But Dave, the the other element of this is even if you have all of those things completely documented and buttoned up, there was this wave of psychological uh, emotion that grips you, that pulls you to a place, a very, very dark place, where having all those plans and having those processes and having that practice as well um, although, albeit very, very important and will increase your survivability, uh, it certainly doesn't prepare you for uh, the uh, handling of, of that emotional state. Uh, and that was our biggest problem, I think, at least initially within the first hour was just coming to the psychological terms of what the hell just happened to us.
0: So you, you, you start getting your feet under you a little bit in yeah. the first hour or two. What? How, how long t- till you're till you're moving to, to to from the thinking to at least pulling together our what our next steps? Even if they're just communicating, like wh- yeah. how long does it take? And what are your first first couple of moves?
1: So, uh, you know, first couple of moves that were unpracticed and un uh, you know because of our, our 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 lack at the time of not being prepared or our lack of preparedness. Uh, was really just making as many phone calls as we possibly could to as many experts as that I could think of. Now, being in this industry, you make a lot of friends, right? You know, that guy's a super cybersecurity, you know, you know, he's on stage, he presents, I'm friends with him, I got his mobile, let me give him a call. You know attorneys, you know forensics people, you you know a ton of people, even just friends in this business that I had reached out to. Uh, But the one phone call that I delayed a little bit, um, and I'm uh, not ashamed to talk about the mistakes that we made, because I think it's important to highlight these things so that others can learn, uh, was that we did not call our cyber liability insurance right away. Now, the ironic thing, Dave, is that we had a new policy that went into effect on Monday, June 28th. So a full four days before we were attacked, Our brand new shiny policy was in effect. Um, And it took a while for us to remember, actually it was my director of finance who does not have a technical bone in her body, uh, came down the hall a little sheepishly and because she knew I was frantic and barking orders at people and like trying to get, you know, figure out what the hell's going on. She's like, hey, Robert, do you think we should call cyber? Um, Do you think we should call in for our insurance? And I'm like, "Um, yeah, that's a brilliant idea. Um, You know, so I felt like, you know, about one inch tall. Um, But I will say that in that particular event um, and in that particular circumstances, I imagine in most security incidents that the resources that are provided to you – through your cyber liability insurance policy proved to be very instrumental in our ability to navigate the situation moving forward. So for instance, you know, we were assigned breach counsel, basically lawyers, by the way, it's a terrible name for it because you're not supposed to use the word breach. Maybe we'll talk about that at another time, Uh, but that has legal implications, of course. Uh, But to help us navigate through this incident, uh, the attorneys that were assigned to us were well-versed in these types of things. They understood the you know, the legalities of things, they helped us formulate a communication plan uh, to our customers so that uh, we weren't just randomly saying stuff to them. right? And that's a very important, critical component in how you navigate a uh, a security incident. I do want to make one particular point about things that we learned. Throughout that process, and is really important to understand when you're engaging an attorney, which you should, right? I know there's some people out there like, ah, screw the lawyers, just you know, do the right thing by your customers, get stuff fixed. You got to be really careful. You have to be counseled. Um, you have to be very counseled through uh, your communications with your uh, affected parties. However, I will. What I did is I pushed back on the attorneys, and there were multiple um, that were assigned to us. And I said, guys, like I am not hiding behind this legalese. If I this sounds very CYA, this email I'm about to put out. I what do I sell as an MSP? Right? Trust and confidence. What what's my what's my currency? My currency is relationships. I will burn all of that, the trust, the confidence in the relationships with this legalese, you know, bullcrap, right? Like I'm not hiding behind you. I will be front and center. So I pushed back on them and said we need to rephrase some of this stuff so that it's um, it is a little bit softer, right? And it's a little bit more caring in what we're saying here. Uh, otherwise, they're just all going to leave us and fire us, right? As as much pain as they're in. Um, so um, and even in them holding us back from attempting recovery efforts, which was a very important step to make sure that we did not put our company or our clients in any kind of jeopardy because we had no knowledge at that moment in time exactly what happened. Was their data exfiltrated? How long have they been in systems? Uh, Do they have passwords to everything else now? We just had no idea. Were they lurking in systems for a year? Or in this particular case, was it a smash and grab? Now, thankfully, in our particular case, it was a smash and grab, so there was no chance for data exfiltration. There was you know very little time for the threat actors to carry out any other kind of dastardly deeds. Um, but you know, having the council there helped us make sure that we made the right decisions that we got the forensics analysis completed by two independent parties to confirm what we were thinking. And what we, so that it, that could then inform a recovery plan so that we can then in turn, uh, manage expectations with, uh, clients. And obviously, I am way watering down like those first 72 hours is essentially what I just described to you of what we had to go through to get to that point. Um, because we just don't have hours to talk about it, but, uh, but that's essentially some of those initial steps that had to take place. Now, to your point, I wish that we had tabletop that. I wish that we had more planning done, at least a, a one-page sheet of flowchart, something that would have given us some map to say, you know, here you are. Uh, we were standing at the gates of hell. I mean, that's the way I, I phrase this is I was standing at the gates of hell with only one option, push the gates open and walk through with no idea what the hell was going to be on the other side of that. Excuse the pun, but maybe it's intentional. What the hell is going to be? Hell is going to be on the other side of it. And it's going to be so random and chaotic and dangerous. How do you navigate that? And, you know, thankfully, I've got a really smart group of people here. And we surrounded ourselves with enough uh, uh, great vendors and other relationships. And even our clients who showed immense patience and grace throughout this process, not all of them did, but most of them did, um, is really what helped us navigate through that.
0: You hit on two things that I, that I want to expand about, because oftentimes when we talk about this breach, I want to understand a little bit more about what it's like being in it. So as, as somebody who covered it, right? So, and I'm going to start with the communication okay. side. yep. Uh, you know, as somebody who's covering the breach, it, it was, I have, have said publicly that I thought Kaseya did a really great job As I've looked back on it, you can say, like, they leaned into communicating with the FBI. They Mm -hmm. moved very quickly. They were very transparent. They communicated. But I'd like to understand, assuming that they're doing exactly the right things, they're talking to the FBI, they're moving quickly. What's it look like from the inside, though, during that? Because I assume they're not able to be fully transparent with you. Tell, Tell me what it looks like inside during the the time and what kind of communications you're getting.
1: So it's funny because, you know, it's almost like that's a recursive uh, sort of situation because their uh, willingness to uh, do the right things and then their communication cadence and what they could and couldn't say was exactly my situation as well. So here I am a recipient of their communications. I am their customer. In turn, I have customers that I had to put in the same situation of, I need to make sure that I'm communicating regularly with them, right? On a, on a, you know, on a set cadence that there's an expectation. By the way, that was one of the lessons that we learned was to say something even if you've got nothing to say uh, and let them know when, you're gonna, when they can expect to hear back from you. Uh, but we also had to be measured in what we said because we have to be a little careful, uh, not to say the wrong thing, uh, not to put ourselves in a bad position or put them in a bad position, right? Because if I just said, uh, yeah, like, uh, we just need to uh, walk around and start, you know, formatting desktops, uh, but you're gonna have to wait a week before we get to you they may have said well robert said right and i'm just going to do it myself and save him some time uh save progressive some time and you know and help myself but maybe that would have done something bad so i it's like i'm using that as a silly example of making sure that um you know the com- the communications were um that there was the right message was was going through, um, and and you know very often in a lot of our communications it was like please just don't touch systems, leave them off, just don't attempt any recovery yourself until we have more information, um, and that sucks, right? It sucks if you're the customer and you're running a, a I don't know, a financial advisory firm and you got twenty people standing around that can't communicate with customers, right? What do you like? That's really like I'm waiting for Progressive to get back to me. Like, what does that mean, right? Um, so, you know, we were very sensitive to that fact. Um, I think Kaseya did, I would agree with you. I think they did a good job on communication. Um, uh, it didn't feel like at any point that they were either withholding information. Uh, and it certainly felt like from the news, at least, that they were cooperative with uh, law enforcement.
0: <laughs> were, were you ahead of the process for their universal decryption key like like what at what point were you doing something yeah or 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 moving versus you know we, we found out they, they did end up getting one they offered it out there were you part of that how How did the recovery look
1: uh we reached about 95 percent of our recovery efforts right so i'm fast forwarding now past july second third fourth fifth right fifth being that monday um I'm now going out to I think when the key was I don't remember the exact date but the key was released about maybe two weeks ish after that um, uh, at that point we had already most systems already recovered so it was only a few like key executives and again irony right like you know the executive of the company saying don't don't touch my machine yeah I know I'm important but I want my team working before me uh we were able to use that decryptor in a very, very limited way. I mean, I could probably count on two hands the number of systems that we recovered uh, using the decryption key versus all the ones that we had to do it via brute force uh, by restoring or just nuking and reinstalling. Uh, that number was closer to 2,500 endpoints, right? So uh, statistically or percentage-wise, it was, um, it was almost negligible.
0: The other thing I really want to get some insight from you is, is when we talk about breaches, but again, guys like me and analysts and journalists that are covering it, we always talk about like large cost numbers, right? We have average cost of breaches. We have, we, we have the, the, the average cost, the total cost, the ransom payments. But as a business, as both of us as business owners, yeah. we know financial hits don't work that way, right? It's not that somebody showed up to your business and said, here's the total bill you'll pay all at once. Yeah. What instead happens is is, 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 I suspect a series of withheld payments and new expenses and uh, bursts of costs, and and then it, it hits. Walk me through how the
1: actual financing of of managing this and the hit to the business look yeah. to make it more realistic. Well, you know, one part of the story which we haven't gotten to yet that we should really talk about is the power of community, because in my mind, um, uh, our cybersecurity. Uh, protection uh, that we think about in terms of an MSP is missing a layer that's not seen in any framework or really openly talked about, right? You got all these different tools and layers of protect. Well, community is a layer of protection that it needs to be in there. So community stepped up in a very, very big way to help us. Um, So um, those costs, uh, those companies were willing to uh, withhold their invoicing, let's say, Uh, So that I wasn't writing a big fat check. But if I were to have to hire the number of people who showed up at our doorstep to help us and said, let's not worry about money right now. Let's just get you recovered. um, We would have been hemorrhaging, you know, potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, within, let's say, about a six week period of time uh, where we wouldn't have expected to be able to do that right now. Did we have the money? Um, yeah, but it probably would have brought us down a, you know, maybe close to zero or put a tremendous strain on us where we would have said, Well, gee, if our clients don't pay us this month, and what do you think that they're thinking, right? They're gonna a lot of people did withhold payment or slowed payments down. Um, and we had to chase money for a while. Uh thankfully we collected just about all of it. Um, uh, but still, I mean, it puts a huge uh problem on your cash flow and you know at the time i probably had an ex i probably had a low six figure uh biweekly payroll um so that's uh that's a lot of money to not have uh to cover um so we were thankfully able to navigate that those finances at least those more hard costs um and then we were paying out you know overtime and other things to our own employees um and then if you really want to factor in the true cost of this then you have to think about Uh, client loss, right? Um, And is that one month's MRR? Is it 12 months? Like, how do you put a number on that, Dave? Like, I'm still even wondering, how do I put a a loss on that, right? I lose a customer that's paying me 10 grand a month as a, for instance, and that's an actual number. Um, Somebody walked, they were paying us around 10 grand a month. And I had multiples, by the way, of that uh, what, what, what's the value of that? Is that 10,000? Is it 20? Is it 120? Is it 240? Like, how do you amortize that? Because we generally don't lose customers, right? Uh, I would say the lifetime value of that customer probably would have easily exceeded a half a million dollars, just that one. So what was the, like, I don't know, maybe, maybe you've got a better answer than I do, but it's the, the, the total loss is very difficult, uh, in my mind to calculate.
0: In the first two weeks, are people slowing on payments, stop payments? Does it how long does it does that slow down last three months, six months, nine months? Give me a sense of of how it shifted from the regular pattern of your business.
1: Yeah, I mean, we we recovered everybody within uh, seventeen calendar days uh, from uh, July second. So by around July nineteenth ish, July 20 ish, Uh, we had about 95% of systems fully restored. So, you know, was there a reason for people to withhold payment? Uh, Technically, no, um, but some people did. So it did put a cash uh, crunch on us, but thankfully, because I think uh, they recognized that we were working so hard and brought in so many other hands to help us that they couldn't stop paying us. So we did have um, a few accounts that, Ah uh, decided to you know slow pay us. and there's one in particular that ended up terminating their agreement with us. Um so there was you know thirty forty thousand dollars worth of back pay that was disputed at the very end of the uh, agreement, which ended in like somewhere in November. Um they eventually paid, but again, it's like that that crunch on your your cash flow. Uh, but Dave, I want to like bring it back to. I think, thankfully, in our case, we were in business for 28 years. We had such tremendous, long-standing relationships with people that I think most of our customers looked at this and said, "Hey, they're a victim, and we're a victim too. We can't not pay these guys, right? We got it." Like. We got to keep keep things flowing. So, so, the other
0: piece that I think is important to hear about your story is is talk to me a little bit about the community involvement. Like, what what ha-
1: You made a bunch of calls and a bunch of people went in. Tell me what happened there. Right. So, I started calling friends in our IT Nation Evolve uh, community, our peer group, um, uh, a few specific guys that I also knew were on Kaseya as well. Just like we were with on premise, um, you know. Thankfully for them, they were not affected. Uh, for whatever random reason, because I think that's what it was. It was more randomness. Um, uh, There was one guy in particular who, by the 5th of July, uh, put out an email blast to our group, basically saying, like, come on, guys, everybody rally. Like, we got to get on, you know, we got to get to Yonkers. We've got to get to New York. We've got to, you know, show up ourselves and we've got to bring engineers with us. So initially, uh, there were three uh, MSP owners, uh, along with combined uh, six engineers that they brought along with them, uh, most of which were really, really seasoned guys. So by Tuesday or Wednesday of that following week, so now where are we looking at, like July 6th, July 7th, um, we had people showing up at our doorstep, providing us both management leadership level of skills like hey let me take over this uh, this project so you don't have to worry about it uh, Robert Anugo who goes my business partner uh, you know we could hand that off to somebody who we trust right that could run with something um, and their engineers were just out in the field integrating themselves with our own team um, but what that did was it opened up the floodgates for many others to show up and all in all we had about 27 Different either MSPs, and I mean like real MSPs, right? Not just, you know, a trunk slammer, um, uh, and subcontractors that helped us with recovery efforts at one point or another. And those are just direct service providers. Then I'll add in that we had companies like Axiant and ConnectWise and Huntress and, um, uh, um, uh, you know, our IT Nation Evolve. Uh, friends, uh, both um, not just members, but uh, within the community itself, uh, and Pax8 that either provided us direct technical services or helped in some other way uh, through that recovery effort. So I'm incredibly humbled, Dave, by the... uh, You know what? Let Let me back that up a little bit. I think I always knew in my heart and in the back of my head that should anything ever bad happen to any one of us, that of course, we're gonna step up and help us, Dave, you and I met what I mean shit it's got it's gotta be like fifteen plus years ago maybe more maybe almost pushing twenty <laughs> maybe pushing twenty right and back in Microsoft, like probably a worldwide partner conferences right, and you know if something bad happened to you and there was a call out like we need help, somebody's gotta fly uh or drive to where Dave is, many of us would respond to that call because it's like it's like a weird fraternity or sorority. You're just, you're blood brothers and sisters in this community. And I didn't really understand that implicit, or I should say explicitly until the day came when I needed everybody's help. And the way they showed up in mass was so humbling to me. It still brings me to tears to even just Think about it, and I'm going to give you a really quick example where somebody showed up at our doorstep, and I thought my director of ops knew him, and he thought I knew him, and we set him off to go work. And uh, Jay turns to me and says, "So how do you know Jim?" And I'm like, "I thought you knew Jim." Well, apparently, this guy Jim, uh, brilliant, seasoned guy, uh, uh, showed up at our office because a friend of his told him about what happened to us. And this guy from Iowa gets on a friggin' plane and spends 15 straight days here helping us. I mean, who does that? What industry can you point to that says people will show up in mass like that just to help? I I don't know. I don't know. I really, I don't know if, if another industry has that sort of sense of community. And that's when it really impressed in me that We've got to figure out a way to codify or organize community response as part of our cybersecurity defenses.
0: So that's what I want to ask you to to close out here is tell me a little bit about what you've invested in with CompTIA and what you're up to there on the, on the response team.
1: Right. Thank you for that. So, uh, it was August of 2021 when I was having these philosophical sort of reflections on what was happening to us and just trying to process everything. And the amount of people who just kept asking me more and more every day about what happened and were really leaning in and interested in hearing what I had to say, that I had to do something, like I said, to organize or codify that response. So just instinctually, I registered the domain MSP911.org, thinking that I was going to somehow put up a page where... You know, sort of that break glass in case of emergency. And if you're an MSP and you're not thinking clearly, like I wasn't, like we weren't, that you could go someplace and say, "All right, look, there's at least a playbook, a guideline." Right? That was the genesis of the idea. But I'm going to fast forward a bit and say that I had met some folks over at Comptia that had a similar kind of idea, not quite as, uh, not quite even as half baked as mine. uh, But we decided to park the domain. Uh, in CompTIA's hands, so I donated it to them, um, and we've created. They've put some resources around this, um, and we've created a leadership committee. I am the chair. Matt Lee from Pax Eight is the co-chair. There are uh, as there's an, um, there's an impressive number of people. If you go to MSP911.org, you'll see everybody's name. That's a part of this, uh, and there's probably some names that are helping that are not actually officially listed there as well. But we. Um, Finally launched the website this past August of 2023, uh, where it is now live with a phone number that someone can call in the event of a security incident. And we'll provide that coaching and mentorship to help walk and navigate through that. We just want you to feel at minimum that you've got a friend that you can call and talk through stuff, right? This is what the attorneys told me. What do you think? Well, here's what I experienced. You make a decision for yourself, right? Um, or, Hey man, Dave, have you thought about food? What about giving your technical team a break? You can't push it that hard. Is everything okay at home, right? So we've built a whole, what we call um, our field tactical guidelines document that will help a first responder, in our case, help you, the victim, navigate this. Now, ultimately, Dave, what we would love to get to is the ability then to also dispatch engineers. As you might imagine, there are some legal snafus with doing that, with liability and confidentiality and a lot of other stuff, but we're, we're determined to be able to also then say, Dave, you need some help. We're going to start shipping you bodies.
0: So is this an opportunity for people to get involved? Like how can, how can people volunteer help out? What do you, what are you looking for?
1: So the website also has an intake process or form for those who want to kind of raise their hand and volunteer. Uh, most of the volunteers that we're looking for, at least initially, are those that have some sort of first responder. And I mean, first responder as in like MSP first responder, security responder experience. Although, listen, if you are just a smart MSP and you've got actual like EMT firefighter experience, you probably already intrinsically know, uh, not that I have that experience, but like what it is to help somebody walk through trauma. Right. And I think those are skill sets that just on the technical side, as well as the leadership side, as the emotional side, we're looking for people to be able to help others walk through that experience. Uh, and typically, because we're going to assign two or three minimum of people to be able to help somebody through an incident, uh, we want a little bit of diversity there as well. Um, so that's initially, I mean, then and then ultimately, and I really hope that we can get to this, is where you'll be able to also commit uh, technical resources, either remotely or willing to get on a plane uh, and get somewhere.
0: So, Robert, you know, in, in the hope that nobody has to go through what <laughs> what, what yeah. you've gone through, yeah, uh, sort of a final yeah. thought, like, what do you want listeners to know about this experience that they, that they should take away so that in a way that they either don't have to go through this themselves or at least knew more yeah. of what you wish you knew?
1: You know, as much as I extolled the virtues of this community and its, you know, sense of brotherhood and sisterhood in this, um, there's another, uh, but there is a disease that exists, not, I think, not just in MSPs, but maybe because we're most of us are entrepreneurial, is that ego, right? So I, I want to drive a couple of quick points here is there is no shame in victimhood. Uh, And there is strength in vulnerability. So if you are ever a victim, you must open your mouth and say something. Don't feel that you are exposing yourself as being weak. No, you are actually showing your strength by saying, I'm a victim and I need some help, right? Because if you don't do that, the chances of you surviving the event on your own quietly are probably very low. I was incredibly fortunate that I had some pig-headed friends that insisted on coming here even though initially I told them no right um, and then I realized what folly that was to refuse that um, and and ultimately the you know the biggest takeaway here is that uh, if we lock arms together uh, we can we can fight back these threat actors I can't fight them alone you can't do it uh, even some of the smartest ones of us uh, technically cannot combat these international threat actors, uh, not one on one. If they wanted to destroy me personally, they probably could. But what they can't do is they can't stop the rising tide that lifts all boats, right? So if we, and that's ultimately what I'm trying to evangelize and what my mission is, is to rally the community to come together in ways, even beyond just what I did with MSP 911, right? But in other ways as well, we've got to openly talk about it. So don't hide. Don't, don't run and cover. It's the worst time to do that. The best time to expose yourself is when you need the help the most. Well,
0: Robert, that is a great place to end this. I really appreciate it. I'm going to direct everyone to that MSP 911 and get involved and really appreciate you joining me today.
1: Thank you for the opportunity, Dave, to tell a little bit about my story and get the word out. I'm teaching my first class. Over five weeks, starting
0: on January 9th, 2024, build skills to transform your business. Week one teaches you how to forecast tech trends for a competitive edge. Week two sharpens your decision-making and tech adoption. And in week three, we master the financial metrics like ROI and TCO to ensure your investments pay off. Week 4 is all about compliance and risk management, and Week 5 lets you piece it all together to create strategic roadmaps for your business. Designed for both seasoned pros and those aspiring to break into the field, join me for this 5-week class. Link in the show notes to find out more. The Business of Tech is written and produced by me, Dave Sobel, under ethics guidelines, posted at businessof.tech. Like the content? Support the show at patreon.com slash MSP Radio, or buy our Why Do We Care merch at businessof.tech. If you want to reach our listeners, visit mspradio.com slash engage. Part of the MSP Radio Network.